Up next is Pete's Ponderings on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Pete's Ponderings is a selection of Pete's candid commentary on everyday issues for Kiwis, taken from his show, Afternoons. Listen to the live broadcast of Peter Williams' Afternoon Show at 1pm, Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays, right here on RCR, Reality Check Radio. This is Reality Check Radio on a Wednesday afternoon. Well, we said last Wednesday we would talk again, and we are right now. I'm with uh, former PGA Tour professional Phil Totorangi as we reflect on a fantastic weekend of golf at the first major championship of the year, the Masters. Kia ora, Phil. Great to have you with us. Uh, Did you manage to catch plenty of it, particularly on the final day when we had the day off anyway because it was Easter Monday and it was all very convenient for us, wasn't it? Yeah, kia ora, ora, Pete. Yeah, look, it's um, it's great that the Masters kind of is one of the the highest-rated sporting events, let alone golf events in the world when it lines up with a an Easter weekend. There's a little bit more time possibly for uh, for sports fans to take it all in and especially with the Monday finish here in New Zealand affords people to um, not have to come up with a, a, a weak excuse as to why they're not in the office on a Monday morning um, and they can just sit in the, uh, the comfort of their own living room and, and take it all in or wherever they're they were watching it, and um, and, and yeah, take on one of the as I mentioned, you know, one of the really iconic sporting events to to watch on on TV. Uh, it's it's just grown over the years. Uh, I'm sure you can remember as a kid watching it, and and having been there on uh, on the ground, and then getting to watch it again. It uh, it never fails to disappoint. Well, I'll tell you what, Phil, when I was a kid, they didn't have satellite television, so I couldn't watch it live in those days, but that's all right. I, I, I used to watch the movies of the Masters, though, and that was what first got me entranced and enchanted with Augusta National back, gee, about 1967 or 1968. Our, our club had uh, colour movies of the Masters, and it was just fantastic to be able to hear about those traditions as far back even as then, and it's something you... Never forget uh, as a child. But let's talk about the 2023 Masters and firstly the New Zealand player in the field, Ryan Fox. Uh, In the end, you'd have to say a highly uh, credible and creditable performance. Uh, Top 30, even par for four rounds. But I think uh, he will leave the place knowing, yeah, I've done well, but it could have been a bit better, couldn't it? Yeah, really. I think I think you're doing that bang on with that. I, I think it was a, a very successful week for for Ryan. I thought just even making the cut would be a step forward. Uh, it was a major championship that he hadn't played. He highly coveted a spot in the in the Masters and managed to tick that off as a career goal. But given as well as he's played over the last couple of years uh, and some form early this year. Uh, stateside, and it was much of Lee, you know, hoping, wishing that uh, he'd do a little bit better than that. And he certainly, I think, kicked a lot of goals over the course of, uh, of four days. And then you throw in all the weather components, um, getting to try and understand a golf course that totally changed its character from the preparation and practice days to. Friday and Saturday and then changing its stripes completely again on the final day. And so I think uh, all in all, 
he'll walk away from that week. And I, I've only had a couple of text messages with him thus far, um, congratulating him on his performance. But I think he'll walk away from that going, yeah, okay, I know that place a little bit better now. I'm really excited for 12 months' time and getting myself back there and having another crack at it. What I did do, Phil, was I found a Masters app, uh, which allows you... Uh, it, it, it's extraordinary. It allows you to watch every shot of every player in yeah. the tournament. And this is something that I haven't come across before. So when I read in the in the final round, and everybody saw uh, Ryan's fantastic tee shot on, on the 16th on the par three, where he just about you know made a hole in one and had the tap in birdie two, but he'd made a couple of double bogeys. And I thought, well, I'll, I'll find out how did he make those double bogeys. One was on the third, which is a relatively easy hole. It's a pretty short par four. And then the other one was on the notorious uh, par four 11th hole. And it was just extraordinary to to watch how he did make those those double bogeys. And I suppose you'd put down the, the double bogeys on each occasion, which is an absolute sin for a pro golfer, essentially just to a couple of bad swings, which came at the wrong time on on tricky holes. You and I alike, <laughs> we're thinking exactly the same thing. The, the, the Masters app may well be the best um, sports event app that there is going. And I, I don't follow everything with all the sports, but I, I follow quite a lot of the American sports, the baseball, the basketball, and follow different things. If you're not watching it live, you can kind of keep up with what's going on. And, and obviously in, in baseball, it's highly stat-driven. And um, But the, the way that the, the Masters has driven their digital presence and, and footprint and, and applications for various different platforms now um, is, is just phenomenal. And so here we are in New Zealand uh, and... Not a lot of what Ryan did over the course of the four days was on the main CBS broadcast. But as you say, you can kind of hark back and see every single swing he made over the course of the four days if you if you wanted to, if you missed it. And um, and you, you and I alike, I, I saw he was kind of had a, a mixed bag of a scorecard there on the final day and was keen to see that. You know, I, I can understand misstepping on the 11th. That's routinely one of, if not the most difficult scoring hole out at, uh, at Augusta, the start of Amen Corner on the back nine. But the third is probably the opposite, maybe the most scorable of the par fours. And for Ryan, as long as he sits it, he can drive it right up within 20 or 30 yards of the green, opted to lay up, got tangled up in one of the overhanging branches and a couple of chips later and a couple of putts and he was back on his heels from the get-go. So, yeah, I mean, phenomenal, phenomenal coverage. Um, I think those are the sorts of moments where he will look back and go, OK, all right, um, maybe I've, I've misstepped on my strategy. Um, he'll take a lot of learnings away from not only playing Augusta and playing the Masters, but playing another major championship and... Um, you know, experiencing it with his family as well. Folks were over there and good good mates. And so we'll have had a lot of memories um, to, to park in his pocket, come home, become a dad for for another time, and then head back to the States in about a month for uh, for another major championship. So let's talk about the tournament at the, at the front end. Brooks Kepka was the man setting the pace into the final day, bearing in mind they played, what, a round and a half because of the weather interruptions. Kepke comes from the Live Tour. He plays on the Rebel Tour, as the PGA 
uh, would put it. John Rahm is a player who's very much, uh, you know, a, a PGA Tour frontman, isn't he? He's one of the, the great uh, pushers of the PGA Tour way of playing golf. So here you had two guys going head-to-head with, uh, shall we say, differing outlooks on the professional game at the moment. I just wonder how that might have affected their on-course relationship. They didn't appear to be talking to each other much uh, in the final round. I know it's a competitive situation, but uh, in the back of both of their minds with the, uh, with, with, with the subject of where they play uh, be, be paramount? Yeah, well, I think it was a crescendo, really, of, of all of the different storylines leading into the week. Um, and who knew who the characters were going to be? But certainly if, if there were players from, whether it be the Live Tour or the PGA Tour or the European Tour or from the Asian region, um, you know, who were going to be the guys that were going to be you know, chasing each other down for the, for the Green Jack? And it just happens to be that... You know, two of the the key you know, protagonists, or, or, or as you say, brand assets from the PGA Tour and the Live Tour, were the really, for the most part, the the the, the two that were were duking it out. There were people that made runs, and Nicholson of all players was was one that made a run, and Species perennial at Augusta um, made a bit of a run as well, but they were a bit too far back to to apply any sort of Sunday pressure on the back nine, shall we say, it was really going to be one of two players. And, you know, I, I, look, I, I don't read too much into that there wasn't a lot of conversation. There's not a lot of conversation in the last round of a major championship, whoever the players are. Um, it, it's all business and everyone knows what's on the line. And then when you throw in the likes of Kepka, who... You know, when when it comes to the four biggest tournaments, he seems to dial up a different level of focus than every other tournament, whatever tour he's playing on, um, for any other week of the year. He seems to have a recipe um, to bring out his best golf in the biggest tournaments. And so, yeah, there were all sorts of storylines. I think for the most part, I think we talked a couple of days ago, Pete, that I didn't think that the the PGA Tour versus the Live Tour or the 18 players that were coming off of the Live Tour back to playing four rounds, I didn't think those storylines were going to to dominate. I don't think they were going to be more important than crowning a, a you know the season's first major champion. And I, I think that kind of shone through with the broadcasts and the various different you know media that were were covering the event. But I think what it came down to was when you have a look back at the form coming in, Kepka was coming off a win on the Live Tour last week, but then when you have a look at Ram, he's been trending really for the last two and a half years, shall we say, to, to capture a championship like this. Picked up his first major in 2021 at the, uh, at the US Open, and that was in tumultuous times as well, um, if we hark back to then. But when you have a look at the early work that he's done in 2023, his form has been, you know, unparalleled. Maybe Scotty Scheffler is the only other player, and, and I and I res- all full respect to Rory McIlroy, but those two players have possibly separated themselves here early in 2023. So it really shouldn't be a surprise when we see that 
John Rahm captures the season's first major because he's been pretty much the form guy um, on the PGA Tour so far this year. And he's the fourth Spaniard to win the Masters. That's that's an extraordinary record uh, considering, gosh, up until Seve in the mid-70s, and that's, uh, for some of us, not that long ago, uh, Spain was just not regarded as a place where star golfers came from. Golf was an American sport. It was a British sport. It had a few good Australians, the occasionally very good New Zealander as well. But Spain, and then suddenly four Spaniards now in the space of, what, 40 years, uh, 43 years, have won the Masters. It's extraordinary. What does the country have that allows it to produce such great players? <laughs> yeah, great flair, I guess, and artistry. When you describe, you know, Balesteros, maybe not so much Oliver Bell, but certainly Garcia and Ram, the thing that they do have that, that maybe some other players don't have is is a, a bit of a flair. They they like to paint their golf ball onto the golf course effectively. They they play with pictures, they like to shape the ball, they um you know, which is all assets and, you know, the, the prerequisites, I guess, when you're having a look at a prototypical player to have success around Augusta is shaping the ball both ways, having a great imagination with the short game, um, being having a dogged determination to get the ball up and down from seemingly impossible spots. And, you know, that, that joy that comes with trying to figure out how can you how can you, you you shoot 69 on a golf course which has got all sorts of different different conditions and, and different challenges and so there's no two doubts about it uh, the the legacy of Ballesteros you know uh, casts a lot of light over over Augusta National I think that one of the interesting stories that came out of this and, and maybe the other thing that we should point to with with Ram is so many different you know, coincidental dates that all clashed with yesterday. With Ballesteros, it was his birthday. That means something to, to all the Spanish players. It was the anniversary of when, um, I think, 40 years on from when he picked up his second. It was an anniversary for Olafarvel with being Easter Sunday, picking up his second Masters. Sergio won on Easter Sunday six years ago. Um, the, the the whole thing started for John Rahm when he went and watched Ballesteros as the captain of the European Ryder Cup team in Valderrama in, in Spain um, back in 1997. And so at that time, Ram's parents didn't know anything about golf. They were just fans and went and watched Seve captain the European side to a, a, a very famous victory on that occasion. Became involved in the game after that, introduced their son to the game and, and here we are, what, 26 years later and he's a, a Masters champion following in Olafarbo and Ballesteros and Garcia's footsteps. So there's a lot of things that kind of fall into into place when you look back upon history. Um, I don't think anyone suspected that uh, Ram wouldn't have the, the game to win at Augusta eventually. But I think the calm that's that's come with parenthood, I think the... Uh, the you know, continued success and the continued inspection upon areas to improve over his game 
has taken place over the last few years, and and you know I don't think this will be the last we see of John Rahm in major championships holding trophies aloft. I think he's clearly asserted himself as one of the best players of this generation, and uh, you would expect that come the PGA Championship in about four weeks' time, he'll firmly be a favourite in that tournament as well. Very good, Phil. As always, I love talking golf with you. Uh, we should talk more often here on Reality Check Radio. We have a lot in common, you and I. Uh, we like sport. We certainly have uh, the same attitude to a few matters regarding health as well. And uh, perhaps at some stage in the next few weeks, we can expand uh, on that, Phil. Hey, well, look, whilst you, we talk about it, and I absolutely agree with you, Pete, yeah. it would be great to delve into a further different subjects, but whilst you're there, go back two years, and I mentioned there when Ram picked up his first major championship, that came on the back, you will remember, when the PCR test was very much front and centre That's in right. That's sporting right. yeah. arenas. Yeah. And so you'll remember at, at Jack Nicholas's tournament at Memorial, he was cleaning the clock of the best players in the world and leading that tournament by six shots at the time. And then, unbelievably, a test determined he was sick. <laughs> and had to be withdrawn from the tournament. He was in isolation for 10 days, despite having no symptoms, checked out of isolation on the Tuesday of the US Open at Torrey Pines and went on to win the US Open. And so it kind of just brings into question a number of different things that we can get into at a different time. But when I kind of go back to the adversity and the challenges, that was the fourth time I think that he had tested positive and um, shortly after that, the PGA Tour did away with the PCR testing and any testing, to, and to that matter, with their players. But it was those sorts of experiences where I think he grew. Uh, he he uh, has you know, a Spanish flair, a short temper, but he, he kind of grew out of those sorts of experiences where there was no common sense. Uh, seemingly to to the test determining whether he was uh, of ill health, uh, put that behind him, and um, and now clearly is is one of the best players in the game, um, and and one of the leaders where I think his voice on a number of different things um, might be um, might be listened to a little bit more now that he's a two time major champion. Indeed, yes, I do remember that now that you bring it up that uh, situation in twenty twenty one. Uh, it also reminds me of what a doctor near where I live these days, Phil, once said that when it comes to testing for COVID, both the PCR and the rat test are, in one word, useless. Uh, so <laughs> I, I leave you with, with that thought. That was uh, a doctor who uh, suggests that uh, testing for COVID is hardly worth uh, hardly worth the cotton buds being used. Hey, Phil, uh, great... <laughs> Great talking with you. Uh, let's talk again very soon. Look forward to it. Thanks, Pete. Phil Tatarangi here on Reality Check Radio. You've been listening to Pete's Ponderings on RCR. Reality Check Radio. 
Remember, you can catch Pete's full show combining smooth sounds and candid commentary on everyday issues for Kiwis and the Peter Williams Afternoon Show on our live broadcasts 1pm Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays right here on RCR Reality Check Radio.